Hello, my awesome friends. It's your buddy Phil here, project management trainer and coach. I hope you're doing well. We're still on our series talking about the basics of the PMP exam, the nitty gritty of the PMP exam. When you boil everything down, it comes to one thing. And that thing is what should the project manager do next? It's really that simple. You need to be exercising your mental muscles for what should the project manager do next kind of questions. And that's why today we're going in on the area of scope management. And I'm going to be giving you some thoughts about questions from this area. So in scope, you have six things that the PMI tells you you should do as a project manager. Number one is plan scope management. Number two is collect requirements. Number three is define scope. Number four is create WBS. Number five is validate scope. And number six is control scope. So let's boil down what could the exam pose as far as problems in the area of planning scope management. Well, plan scope management could have problems in that if you don't understand the full scope, then you're not going to be able to decipher how best to manage the scope. For example, if you have scope items that at a high level blindside you, you're not going to have a very clear idea of how to break the scope down or how to collect requirements. So the more you know in the develop project charter process, the better it is for your scope management processes. So if you've got a poor vision it's going to affect how you plan for scope. It's going to affect your plan scope management process because you're going to be planning to manage scope the wrong way. Probably your entire approach to the project is going to be out of whack. Instead of using an agile approach, you may be using a predictive approach. You may be planning to use a predictive approach. So a lot could go wrong from a poor understanding of the high-level scope. The next thing that could affect is obviously collecting requirements. Because if you're collecting requirements in a predictable fashion, trying to collect all the requirements up front, when those requirements could be dynamic, when the project could change, then you could end up having a lot of change management activity, a lot of change control, a lot of needless overhead. If your requirements are being collected the wrong way, if you're collecting requirements more predictably, could run into problems. What else could happen as far as requirements are concerned? Well, apart from the changeability of requirements, you could also be faced with poor documentation of requirements. Like a requirements traceability matrix would help you, but instead of using a requirements traceability matrix, maybe you're trying to manage the requirements in let's say, a more agile fashion. That could also be bad. The reverse could be bad. So running a requirements collection in a predictive way as opposed to a, an agile way could be bad. Running requirements collection in an agile way instead of a predictive way could also be bad. You know? Because there's some projects that in the Stacy model we say fall into the simple zone. The lower left part of the Stacy model. Yeah, so for that reason, you shouldn't be collecting requirements 
in an agile approach when you should be doing it predictably. It goes both ways. Let's move on to the next thing. The next thing is the defined scope process. So what is defined scope? Defined scope is where you are really narrowing down what needs to be done in a lot of detail. You're going into the acceptance criteria. You're going into a detailed deliverable description. Those things should be done like that up front in a world of predictive. But what else could go wrong? Incorrect assumptions could lead to poorly defined scope. Incorrect assumptions and constraints could lead to you being totally off when it comes to a project scope statement. In a more agile approach, the collecting of the requirements is done in an iterative, fluid manner. In the same token, the definition of scope is also done in an iterative manner. So we have our sprint planning, and our sprint planning is really where we are narrowing down the scope. Because that's what the sprint backlog is made of. It's it's scope items. So if you get items wrong in your sprint planning, it could lead to you not getting your potentially shippable increment done. So the questions you should be asking yourself is, what should the project manager do next if scope is not properly defined? What should the project manager do next if you realize requirements are not complete? What should the project manager do next if a work breakdown structure is missing certain components? You think about it. It needs to be fixed, right? And it goes back to what I discussed with you in the previous session, the dig of the DIGSIV approach, right? You should always define what is the problem. Identify the root cause, what could be causing it. Generate alternatives. Choose the best alternative. Implement the alternative and validate that that is indeed a solution that has fixed the problem. And that's how you think in a DIGSIV framework. But moving on beyond creating of the WBS, we also have the validate scope process. We have the control scope process. And in validate scope, this is where your customer is checking to ensure that the deliverable that you've created and you've checked now a verified deliverable to get the lingo correct, uh, making sure that that verified deliverable really does meet their needs, their expectations. So what could go wrong there? A lot could go wrong. The customer could incorrectly accept a deliverable. A customer could prematurely accept a deliverable. You know, as opposed to doing a thorough job, a stakeholder or customer could be in a hurry and thereby incorrectly accept a deliverable when the deliverable is actually not fit for use. So what happens after you accept a deliverable that isn't fit for use? And that's the what should the project manager do next question here. 
Now you think about it, if a customer has already accepted a deliverable, but that deliverable is riddled with errors or problems, it does not absolve the project manager or the team from fixing it. You know, there's such things as liabilities and warranty work and things like that. There's a cost of quality. That tapers into the cost of quality. So the what should the project manager do next question needs to be answered with a solution. Something that solves a problem. Not something that keeps the customer high and dry and, you know, oh, why did I accept this deliverable? It was wrong. Now I, now I have a poor product. It doesn't work. I'm not happy with it. And I just got to live with it. No. So that's not the best option. So you always need to think, what will solve this problem for the client, for the customer? The final thing is in control scope. And in control scope, this is where you are preventing gold plating, scope creep, checking the scope to make sure that everything that should be done is done and anything that shouldn't be done is not done. So that's the mindset, the general mindset in this area of scope. Okay, so we've talked about a few things. We've talked about plan scope management, collect requirements, define scope, create WBS, validate scope and control scope. But always boil it down to this. Does my answer that I'm selecting solve the problem? And is this the best solution to the problem? Something else you should do is always go back to your questions and ask, is there a better option in what I am leaving out? Okay, always ask, is this the very best or is something else better? So play the devil's advocate, but I'm talking about microseconds, my friends. These questions are just one minute a pop. So as you're going through these questions, you need to be asking yourself, am I staying on pace? Am I staying on track? Or am I obsessing over one tiny little question here? Should I move on to the next one? Um, Am I making headway? Because if you stay on a question for too long, your first part of the exam can end up taking two hours. Then you're you're rushing around trying to find ways of, of doing time control, but maybe it's too late. Because if you rush a portion of your exam so severely, like if you rush part two and part three of your PMP exam so severely, it is possible that you answer the question so haphazardly that you end up getting so many wrong. So there needs to be balance, okay? It needs to be balanced. You need to, in my mind, you just need to level the time you're spending on the questions across the board. If you have extra, like change, And when I say change, I mean you got time remaining because you answered a question you knew very well in 30 seconds and therefore in your bank, technically speaking, you got 40 seconds because you answered that question so quick. If you're able to balance it all out, it's a win. But if you're so lopsided on some questions that your gimmies, the ones you know so well, suffer because you're not even able to answer those correctly because you're under pressure, that could be a problem. All right. So I hope this is helping you. I know for some people, what I'm saying is like Greek. It's very advanced. But don't worry, as you study more and you get up to the level of understanding knowledge areas, process groups, what the exam is all about, this is going to make sense. All right. So you may want to revisit this audio video, go over it again and see where you need to close some gaps. All right. Thank you, my friends. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.